You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunnyside Up. I'm your host, Shubhank, and today I'm super excited to talk to Claudia Verlenutza on the data-driven future of work. Claudia is the CEO of Adlitera, a data science and machine learning training company helping teams learn new skills faster so they can harness the power of automation, data science, and machine learning. Daily, the Adlitera team trains engineers and analysts in Python programming, data processing, data science, and machine learning topics like NLP and computer vision. A few notable Adlitera clients include ANZ Bank, Independent Health, Wind River Software, and before starting Adlitera, Claudia actually taught computer science at Harvard, worked in biotech at Kaijun, marketing tech at ZoomInfo, and an e-commerce role at Wayfair. Claudia, I'm really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Shabank. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for the great introduction. You're most welcome. And since since the time we've been talking previously, so I've heard a lot about how you talk about data and how it's driving the current world. So I just want to quickly understand what does it actually mean mean to use as a, a data-driven company or it's like what does it mean to be a data-driven organization? Sure, definitely. So data-driven is one of those buzzwords, right, that gets thrown around a lot these days. Mm -hmm. And if we were to look up a formal definition, it would probably be something along the lines of, you know, making strategic decisions based on data analysis and interpretation. And that definition itself is made up of a bunch of buzzwords, right? (laughs) That things that that we would need to, to unpack. So there are a few practical steps, right, to, to creating a data-driven culture and to becoming a data-driven organization, right? So first and foremost, we need to, to have data, right, to collect data. That's, that would be step number one. And I think pretty much all organizations out there collect data by default nowadays, so we're pretty much there. The next step would be to make data easily accessible, right and easily queryable so those two steps are pretty much the foundation of what it means to be data driven a is have data and b can access and query data now the third step the third part of it is what you use that data for right so what do you Mm -hmm. what do you do with it and there are a few again kind of the, the, the ground level and the first floor, right, in the building that is that is analytical capability, right? Mm-hmm. So those two would be reporting. So what happened? Alerting, right? It's happening right now. You should know. You should be aware of, of it. And, cool. of course, analysis, right? So why the thing that happened happened and what does it mean for you, right? What can you do moving forward? Now, the bulk of the value and the thing that organizations, in my experience, aspire to is that last level, right? Getting to the analysis level. Why did something happen? And specifically, you want to answer two questions, right, with the data. 
now that this happens, or now that this is the case, what's our next best action, right? What can we do as an organization? And secondly, the second question is, if we do this, what's the best or worst thing that can happen, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's a very kind of a theoretical definition, if you will, right? So you're, we want to answer a few questions by using all this data that we've collected and that we are collecting. And ideally, we want to do it in such a way that it doesn't occupy all of our time so that we also have time for, you know, our core operations and responsibilities, right? Correct. So there are some examples that I could give you, you know, things that are typically Mm -hmm. associated with a data-driven organization or rather the the trait of being a data-driven organization. So you have, for example, companies that are very focused on continuous testing, you know, people who do A-B test everything, for example, or who set up experiments before they even try anything. So whenever trying a new initiative, there will be a small controlled experiment that is being measured to see what the outcome is. There are also those organizations who, again, measure everything in order to, to choose between a specific you know, some specific future options, right? So measuring different variables. One example here might be for a typical person choosing to accept a job, right? Or choosing between multiple job offers, right? You would probably look at a number of factors. Of course, you would look at pay, you would look at what, you know, what you're doing in that job. But you'd probably also want to know, you know, what's my commute time? What's the cost of that commute? You know, do I have to fly across the country to commute? Correct. You know, is there any travel, right? So being being aware of all of the variables that go into a decision and mm-hmm. tracking them and measuring them is another mark of data-driven culture specifically. That's awesome. I think you can give a complete overview of what organizations do or mean by when it says that it's a data-driven organization or a team and what does it actually happen in the background. Claudia, could you help me understand how important are these data skills and who should actually kind of know how to use this data? It's a great question. There are a few obvious things. Again, so if we start from the superficial level, right? Who uses the data? Whose job is it, right? The obvious ones are obviously, well, of course, we should have data analysts or we should have data scientists or ideally both, right? Folks who whose job it is to be technical and to be able to dive into the data and to do thorough analysis and then to you know communicate the results of said analysis and make recommendations based on that. Mm-hmm. Now, that's true and that's great, but that doesn't change the fact, for example, that in an organization, even one that has, you know, an appropriate number of technical staff, right, be them, you know, data scientists or data analysts or anybody, any other professionals who are tasked with analyzing data and modeling it, those people are usually not at the top of the hierarchy. Those people are usually not in leadership roles, right? They're quite close, right, to the customer, right, or to the front line. So by being close to the data, you know, they can see everything that's happening, but they do not have the power to actually take those recommendations that they're making and actually apply them, right, or or make make them happen within the organization as a whole. 
all they can do is go to their manager and say, this is what I found out. This is what I recommend. This is what seems to be the case. What is true for our customers, for example. And this is what I recommend we do moving forward. From there, it's the manager's part or, or the team lead's part to, to take those findings up the chain of command and transform them into decisions, right? Yeah. What are we going to do now that we know that our customers behave in a certain way, right? And given a yeah. certain set of circumstances. I came across an interesting survey actually recently, and I, I believe that the survey itself was conducted sometime in, in late 2019. It was done by uh, an analytics vendor called Splunk. Mm-hmm. And they actually surveyed about 1,300 senior executives. And the findings, in my opinion, were kind of eye-popping. So 81% of those 1,300 senior executives agree that data skills are required to become a senior leader in their company. Whoa. Okay. Right? So, so 81%. That's amazing, yeah. But 67% say that they're not comfortable accessing or using data themselves. And furthermore, 73% thought that data skills are actually harder to learn than other, than other business skills. And perhaps the most surprising of all to me was that 53% believed that they are, quote, too old to learn data <laughs> skills. So if we were to unpack that for a bit, you have, on the one hand, you have 81% of senior executives who effectively are telling us that they expect new senior executives in their company to be to have very strong data skills, right? While over half of those same people think that it's too late for them or too hard for them to learn said data skills, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, right? Like I try to put myself in the heads, kind of in the minds of, of the folks who took the survey. And I'm trying to think that is not, it's not a comforting position to be in right because on the one hand you believe that you should have these skills and on the other other hand hand, you believe yeah that's absolutely right i know i mean i know how it feels because you're kind of a leader who understands what what is actually running the organizations currently when you look at the whole globe i think data is something which is very very important and i think it's it is a basic need of anybody in any i'd say a level of a job function to understand the basics of how to use the data and what you're saying is right. I think what those 81% of the people who say it is actually true, they need to learn and they need to at least understand how to analyze and be able to kind of derive what actually data data is trying to convey about the current performances or the future of the game. And that is interesting, Claudia, because you, you are an expert in this field around data and you're training all these people in today's world to kind of equip themselves with all the knowledge that they need to, to have a key, I'd say, talent or ability to kind of overcome this particular drawback or a, a gap that is there in the current world. Coming to the next question, Claudia, what are the biggest obstacles to data science, I'd say, being used more widely in the context of marketing and sales? What do you think could be the biggest obstacles? That's a great, great question, Shivank, also. So there are a few things that come to mind in my experience that keep coming up, really, when it comes to, you know, why are we, why do we know that where we need to be and we know kind of where we would like to be in terms of analytics capability and how we use our data? But we can't seem to, or, you know, so many organizations really can't seem to to get there. And by talking about organizations, it can be a bit confusing, right? Because for folks mm-hmm. listening to the podcast, 
they're going to think, okay, well, I'm part of the organization, but I'm somewhere in the middle, right? So perhaps I'm not responsible for where the entire organization is going. You know, I don't have the power, right, to make this happen. But the truth is that this kind of effort and the, the decision to use data better and to, to use it kind of in a more productive way doesn't necessarily come from the top. Yes, there has to be a data culture. There has to be a, an approach to the way data is used and to how analytics is regarded within the company that is encouraged from the top and is modeled from the top. But at the end of the day, really the responsibility kind of rests with the individual teams, right? So in terms of the biggest obstacles, there are five things that I've personally identified. So the first one is a lack of understanding. And this is probably the first and the biggest one. It's a lack of understanding of how to use analytics to improve business, right? So if you are an executive, right, who is coming from, let's say, marketing background, Right. Marketing in probably in in all organizations, marketing deals with a fair amount of data and there's a fair amount of analytics and there's definitely a lot of reporting, a lot of data use. But perhaps you're wondering, you know, can I do more? How can I do more? What could I do more? And especially marketing, I think, is an interesting example, because what I see happening a lot in many organizations and on many teams. And this comes from from speaking to people, you know, speaking to the people that were training and learning about their roles, what they do in their roles. What happens is a lot of what I call analytical busy work, mm-hmm. right? So you have perhaps a team of analysts who are doing, you know, what, you know, management considers to be analytics, what perhaps even they consider to be analytics. But really what it is at the end of the day is reporting, right? So they do a lot of reporting, but the problem is that a lot of these processes are still very manual, right? They're still, they're spending time on generating repetitive reports or alerts manually. And in the tech community, there's the concept of don't solve the same problem twice, right? right? So usually when I hear about these things, I'm like, wait, you're doing this report every week and you're still doing it manually every week. Mm-hmm. And you still have to budget like, you know, half an hour or an hour or longer of your time to run this. You know, like why, why is that? Why would you do that? So that's that's one aspect of it. Basically, try not to solve the same problem twice. If you're doing something more than once, try and look into ways in which you can clear your work log, so to speak, and automate as much of the boring tasks as you can. The second thing would be the the lack of time or lack of bandwidth from management. Now when somebody tells you they're not doing something because they don't have time for it, that's usually code for, I haven't prioritized it. I don't want to deal with it. So <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> the third one here, and we're in a list of five, so we're, we're approaching the end, is the lack of skills in the line of business. Now, this is a thorny one, right? Especially given kind of where we are with the, the labor market and how difficult it is to hire at this particular point in time. And training can and, and does help a lot here because oftentimes what ends up happening is that you probably already have, if not the skill in-house, then you at least have the will, right? And the correct attitude and the enthusiasm to learn. And you also typically have an entire team that knows your business inside out, and they've been doing it for a while. 
And they're the best equipped to kind of identify these places where you can improve your processes, right? Where you can improve your analytics, where you can take those analytics a step forward, right? A step mm -hmm, further. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, actually, you can do a lot with really just the basics of data skills or automation skills. Like I've seen teams just taking you know, a, a three-week intro to Python course on a very, very part-time basis and really free up a, a huge chunk of time in their schedule. The fourth and next to last obstacle here is the access to data. Now, the access to data can be real or perceived, right? So it could be that, you know, I don't have access to the data, which in fact means I don't really know where to get the data from, which is a, an issue in and of itself. And under this obstacle, we have things like, you know, silos, right? Teams that are super protective of, of their data, right? Because they, they see themselves as, you know, perhaps ensuring the safekeeping or the privacy of that data. We have restricted data sharing within our organization, oftentimes for legitimate reasons, right? Things like privacy concerns, all right? So oftentimes data that contains privately identifiable information or, or PII is not freely shared within the company. And finally, the hardest one, I think, is just the issue of diffused data ownership and governance. And this is the, the last point under access to data here. So, you know, not knowing who to ask for the data that you need. And the last point, the last obstacle that, in my opinion, is actually the easiest to address. The last obstacle when it comes to, to knowing you know, and, and to moving on with stepping up your analytical game and stepping up, you know, your use of data to make it more, more efficient mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is not knowing where to start, right? So right. it's difficult, right? If you, if you traditionally do not, you know, if you're an executive who is not a tech executive, right? You are not in analytics, you are not in engineering, you haven't traditionally had a lot of data-oriented processes before, it's very difficult to know where to start, right? And how to make the processes that you do have now more efficient and how to start using data more in the things that you do on a daily basis at work. And I have a few things here, also uh, a few kind of pointers to get started. So my first piece of advice here would be to start small. And this is probably something that you'll find whenever you approach any anything, <laughs> any sort of skill that you're trying to, to learn, true. right? So start small. First of all, frame a problem. This brings me back to uh, the idea of what does an executive need to actually learn when it comes to data skills, right? Do we expect executives to have the same amount of talent, right? The same amount of technical chops, I guess, as frontline individual contributors? And the answer is no. No, of course not, because an executive does very different kind of work. But all executives, in my opinion, and according to the Splunk survey, an executive's opinion, <laughs> right? They should know, they should be able to, to know how to frame a problem, how to frame mm -hmm. a business problem in terms of finding a, a solution using data, in terms of deciding what data they need to use, in terms of managing a technical project, you know, that perhaps right. their team is working on or hiring technical candidates or managing them, right? So those are all things that that are important for, for executives pretty much at all levels to know. Another thing is if you find that you have no time, right, to, to start, you know, something like an analytics project, why not 
look for a way to free up some resources, find some, you know, perhaps inefficient processes that are very manual and time consuming and try to automate those before moving on to, you know, more advanced things. Yeah, that's actually interesting. I mean, because I was thinking about all the points that you just mentioned. Sorry to just jump in, Claudia. (laughs) No, go ahead. The first point that you mentioned is the lack of awareness is very, very important for somebody to analyze how data could actually help him or help the team to kind of succeed. And the coming question is actually around that. So I was actually trying to understand if somebody from the audience right now feels that he needs to understand or learn about data science or anything related to that, and they might not have a team internally. Mm-hmm. How do you think they can actually leverage the available I'd say, opportunities? And how do you think the executives can get started with all these trainings? That's a great question also, Shubank. So I can tell you from experience that mm-hmm. pretty much a very high percentage of clients that we work with, so folks who now have teams and run pretty technical operations and they use data pretty extensively, a large percentage of those folks actually started out by taking pretty technical classes with us. Mm-hmm. So they started out as identifying something that that they're curious about, right? A topic like, for example, data science. We used to teach a very popular and very abridged, uh, very short intro to data science course. And it was live online. So you would log in, you know, twice a week for two hours for live lectures. And Mm -hmm. then you had some project work and whatnot. And folks actually signed up for that. And even though, because obviously I knew who was in the class, I knew that they were oftentimes, you know, VPs or C-level folks, right, who were taking these courses, I knew that they weren't able to, you know, for example, keep up with all the work because there was really a lot of work and they all have very demanding jobs. But it was still very, very impressive to me to see that, you know, the curiosity is there, right? So those folks want to know, they want to at least be aware of the process at the high level, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they're not going to go into the weeds themselves, and even if, you know, the possibly a lot of the technical details just go straight over their heads, right? So there there has to be, you know, kind of a, a positive attitude towards learning and towards keeping an open mind. But there are really no shortcuts mm-hmm. here. So in terms of when it comes to educating yourself as an executive on the topic of data science and machine learning and analytics, there is not really much of a shortcut other than taking whatever whatever resources you can find, reading up on the topic, taking a course or two. We offer this course called AI for Leads or AI for Leaders. So artificial intelligence for leaders, which is really focused on the skills that I mentioned earlier, right? So framing a problem in terms of data, managing a technical team, managing a technical project, so on and so forth. So that's one example. But really even just jumping into a hands-on Python course, can I learn something that I can then pass on to somebody on my team and tell them, hey, why don't you look into this? Because I think you can use, you know, this, this, and this to automate that report that takes you two hours every week. So those are really my my recommendations. Awesome. I think that that actually gave a good amount of insight into how anybody could actually kind of get started with the basics. And that's a very good way to kind of go ahead and uh, have a clear idea as to how we can actually get started with it. 
And uh, this is the final, I'd say, last question, which is very close to me because uh, these are the kind of challenges people like me and people like me in the audiences could actually be facing. I'm a non-technical guy and I do understand that there are a lot of types of data that is available in the current scenario. While you were discussing earlier, you said that with some basic trainings and with the, with the kind of training that you guys are providing, you're saying that a non-technical executive also could get started with handling all these technical related queries and stuff. So I was actually trying to understand how you could actually help us out or how you can actually help the non-technical executives get started with all these understanding about the technical aspects of the data and all the details around this. Could you shed some light around that as well? If I understand the question correctly, Shubank, I'm just going to to rephrase it here to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. answering the right question. You were wondering, you know, as a non-technical executive, what is a start here point for diving into, you know, the analytical process and starting a use of analytics within my team? Is that what you're asking? That's bullseye. Yep. Okay, great. Definitely. So I can tell you that I've seen I've seen this done so many times, and I've seen probably a million variations of this. Mm-hmm. And this is really, honestly, starting from a grassroots with a project that is really outside of your wheelhouse, and you're really, you know, going off on a limb and trying something new, even though you're not sure you're going to succeed. You're pretty sure you're going to fail, in fact, or you're not going to get to quite where you want to be but you're going to start anyway, that is the kind of attitude that you need, right? So first and foremost, you need to have, you know, the will to to try something that has an uncertain outcome, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And for those folks who are, you know, in data science right now, if any of them are listening to this podcast, they're going to probably be nodding their heads vigorously because this is what data science is about. It's dealing with uncertainty at any given time. But as a non-technical executive, it's usually a good idea to take a hard look at the things that your team is doing or the the problems that you're solving. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are in customer success, for example, go and take a look at the data that you are collecting about customer satisfaction, right? Have a look at some of those Mm -hmm. reports. How are those generated? How are they processed? Is there a better way to do it? Perhaps you have a project on the docket right now that has to do with, I don't know, implementing a new initiative around Mm -hmm. improving customer success, right? Try and find a way to do it that would allow you to, to leverage data and to try out a cool new analytical tool or technique. Or Mm -hmm. see if you have perhaps a Python enthusiast on your team who can write a script to do something cool, right, for the in the context of that project or to automate part of the work. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that I would recommend going for first. And I'll tell you why. So usually people, when when executives embark on analytical project, they say, oh, I want to start a data science project. Or heck, I just want to start an analytics project so that I can analyze you know, why we are seeing this effect that we are seeing, for example, in Mm -hmm. our customer feedback, let's put it that way. When that happens, people usually start thinking, okay, well, now I have to, I have to go and I have to hire somebody who can crunch this data, right? I have to go and find Mm -hmm. new talent. But the truth is that if you were to look within your existing team, chances are you would already have somebody who 
you know, is either a hobbyist or who would just be very, very excited to learn about these things just because they're curious and they're driven to mm -hmm. begin with. And you can really start working with that person right away. You know, you can ask them, hey, does any of you guys know, you know, I'm, I'm curious about using, I don't know, this data analysis library, for example, or this data visualization library in Python, because I, I saw that it can make these very interesting visualizations. And I want to use this to visualize this data that we have about our customers. Can anybody take this on? If you've taken a Python course before, if you've tried your hand at it, or even if you haven't, who is willing to learn? Are you willing to go off on a limb and with our support, obviously, go ahead and with your manager's support, go ahead and teach yourself what you need to know to be able to start this. And of course, at that point, you would make sure to free up that person's time so that they have time to work on this. But I guarantee you that if you pose the question that way, you will definitely find volunteers. You will definitely find people who who are excited to learn and who are excited about the fact that their manager is suggesting that they free up their time to do something that's new and exciting. That's at least been my experience so far. That is awesome. Not just me, but the listeners are going to appreciate that idea of how we can actually get started up as a basics or I say as an, at an intermediate level to kind of get a quick understanding of what all the data science is all about and all of the other jargons that we kind of keep listening around the data science. That was amazing, Claudia. I mean, I, I got to accept that. Okay, this was an amazing session. Before we come towards the end of it, so we normally kind of ask our guests with a couple of questions that you could actually kind of suggest to our audience. So the first thing is, is there any book or a blog or a resource like a newsletter or a website that you would recommend our listeners to kind of keep a track? Definitely. Yeah. So since this is an episode about executives and senior executives who are learning about data science and analytics and are implementing these things on their team, I'd like to take this opportunity to point out that I'm coming from the opposite place where I started out as a data scientist and I'm currently running a company. So my learning journey was kind of in the opposite direction. And I'm pretty partial to the Harvard Business Review, actually, in terms of its content for data and analytics strategy in particular. Mm -hmm. And that's been, for me personally, it's been a good resource for the things that, that I've had to, to kind of learn on the way to building at Litera. And another resource would be our blog, which can be found at litera.com slash blog. It's mm -hmm. obviously a work in progress. We're always updating it. We're always publishing new content, both technical as well as non-technical and, you know, strategy related. So yeah, those are the two resources that I would recommend. That is great. And how about like three people in your B2B network that you would recommend we bring on the show? Definitely. Yes. So first person that comes to mind is my good friend, Leila Perhaji. Uh, Leila is actually the founder and CEO of a biotech drug discovery startup. And the entire premise behind the company is based on her PhD thesis. So she is actually a brilliant PhD holder and she did her PhD and mm -hmm. I'm going to get this wrong probably, but machine learning or... <laughs> computational biology or something like that <laughs> but she's just insanely mm -hmm. smart so she currently leads 
this startup and within it, basically everybody is a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, and they're working on a drug discovery mechanism using machine learning. So yeah, she's a super interesting person to talk to. Another person that came to mind is the president and COO of a company called Apollo. His name is Santosh Sharan. Santosh and I worked together many moons ago at ZoomInfo. Santosh actually hired me at ZoomInfo. So yeah, so he, he's a great guy to work with and learn from. He has been in the data space for a very, very long time. So he's another great mm-hmm. person to, to speak with. Awesome. And finally, the third person is Phil Garlic. He's the, the chief sales officer at Brainshark. And he's also somebody that I worked with before. Really great guy, great mentor. So yeah, there you have it. That's perfect. I think Laila, Santosh and Phil are going to be really excited to hear about this and also might be interested to come on the show in the future. So thank you so much for that, Claudia. And last but not the least, I personally kind of going to start following all the blogs on your website on Adlitra and on the same page. There could be a lot of listeners who are listening to this podcast might want to kind of get in touch with you. Could be for some sort of a professional, let's say, a mentoring or whatever the doubts they have. And if at all somebody wants to get in touch with you, how could they connect with you? Absolutely. So LinkedIn is really the well, let's be honest, it's the only social network that I'm on <laughs> at the moment. So <laughs> so definitely please connect with me on LinkedIn. That's a really great way to to get in touch. And if you are interested in the types of things that you're reading on our blog or you'd like to to learn more about the courses that we offer or you'd like to kind of dip your toes into the technical topics that we mentioned on this podcast, please go ahead and follow it Litera mm-hmm. on our budding YouTube channel where we publish both technical and non-technical tutorials and video clips on various topics in this space. So that's that's about it. That's perfect. I think, I think guys, you've, you've all heard as to how you can get in touch with Claudia if you got any, any queries or any doubts that you, can, you want to ask about the data and its related topics. So here you go. You can actually get in touch with her anytime through LinkedIn, as well as you can actually look into all the content around data on the channel on YouTube at Litera. So this is towards the end of the show, Claudia. So is there any other quick thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience before we end this? Yes, definitely. There is something that comes to mind that's actually very, very appropriate, not just to diving into something unknown like data science or analytics, if you don't come from that kind of background, but really to diving into anything new trying anything new for the first time. And that's the fact that you have to be, you have to approach whatever you're doing with a beginner's mind. And you have to kind Mm -hmm. of allow yourself to, to not be good at it and possibly even to make a fool of yourself, hopefully not in front of other people (laughs) and hopefully not too bad, (laughs) but it's okay to make a fool of yourself or what you think would be a, a fool of yourself, you know, with your team, if you were to ask a question about something or other. If somebody on your team or somebody on a different team uses a word that you don't understand or uses a bunch of jargon that is just going over your head, don't be afraid to stop and ask. Call them out on it because chances are, if you don't understand what they're talking about, there are very likely other people there who don't understand what they're talking about. So go ahead and do that. And and don't be afraid to fail either. You know, when trying something out that 
that you don't know the outcome of. You know, you don't know how your how your first, I don't know, data visualization project is going to go because you've never used this particular tool before to, to build a data visualization. That's fine. Just accept the fact. Mm-hmm. There's this concept that I really like in writing, which is called a shitty first draft. <laughs> I believe I, I'm a strong believer in, in that because the first draft is always going to be bad. It's going to be mm-hmm. the first draft of a project, the first draft of something you write. The first draft of anything, right? So allow yourself the luxury of a less than perfect first draft so that you can make progress. That is brilliant. You're right. The first step that somebody has to take is give it a try. That's when you realize what is right and what is wrong and how do you going to perform better if you're not performing at all. And there's so many ways to kind of analyze what is happening around you. And that is only possible if you give it a shot. That's a perfect last thought. I had a great time actually conversing with you around the topic and understanding what you're trying to help the today's world in trying to kind of get equipped with the latest technologies or I'd say the data science and all the other technologies around that. So I had a great time talking to you, Claudia. Thank you so much for being on the show. Me too, Shabank. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, all the audiences who have been listening to us patiently. See you soon, Claudia, again. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Shabank. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.